welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Well, as I've already mentioned, um, we are in the middle of a series called Follow. We're up to part five. And uh, we've looked at a number of things. The prerequisite to following Jesus is you've got to be an unbeliever. <laughs> That's good. That puts us in good company. If you are an atheist, if you're a skeptic, if you're a cynic, if you're an unbeliever, you are welcome because that's where we all started. To follow Jesus, that's where it starts. Jesus had a bunch of people who followed Him and they, all, they did not believe Him. They were cynical. They were sceptical. They questioned everything He said. But nonetheless, they were following Him. And so we've learned numbers of things. Um, a few weeks ago, we looked at where it would lead us. Um, Pete last week talked about what we should wear as followers of Christ. And today, I want to look at the fine print. The fine print. You see, every contract has a big promise and then it has the small, itty-bitty fine print. I say that to say this, that there are a lot of advantages of following Christ. I believe in following Jesus that you will be a better person, that you will be a more generous person. I believe you'll be a person who will be able to help more people than you ever dreamed, hoped or even imagined. There is a massive payoff in following Christ. However, there is some small print and it's a small print that I want to look at today. In other words, there is always a price to pay. There's always a price to pay. And the moment you pay that price, you're going to discover something. When you are willing to pay the price, you're going to discover whose you really are. You're going to discover what you really believe. And in that moment where you have to pay the price or not, and you're faced with that dilemma, you're going to find out whether you are really a follower of Jesus or you are just a consumer. The moment we deal with the fine print is where we realise whose we really are. And so I want to read a portion from the text today found in Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, reading from verse 27 right through to 38. And unfortunately, we don't have any screens uh, with the slides on today because of our stage design. Sorry about that. But you can turn in your Bibles, you can turn in your computers, you can turn in your laptops, you can turn in your um, iPods, iPads, I, whatever. See, when I'm tired, I don't get emotional, I just get silly. So we, and I'm a little bit tired, so anything can happen this morning. So follow with me if you can, or just listen carefully. Jesus and His disciples went on to the village around, the, around Caesarea Philippi, on the way, he asked them, who do the people say that I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others say one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? And Peter replied, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anybody about him. And then he began to teach them about the Son of Man and what he must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, as we've already heard today. He said, 
you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he turned to the crowd and he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever wants to lose their life, sorry, whoever loses their life for me and for my gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can you anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when He comes in His Father's glory with the holy angels. This is a portion of Scripture that if you've been a Christian for a number of years, you would have heard many, many times. If you've been in this church a number of years, you would have heard me refer to it on numerous occasions. But essentially, I want to take you to the three questions Jesus asked of his disciples and ultimately the crowd and ultimately us some 2,000 years later. The first question that he asks of his disciples is, who do you say that I am? Question number one, who do you say that I am? He started very sneakily. Jesus is a brilliant communicator and he starts with, who do the people say that I am? And we are great at commenting on what other people think. And so some said that he's John the Baptist raised from the dead. Some said he's Elijah. Some said he's one of the other prophets. And Jesus is being very sneaky. He gets them talking and then he throws a bomb their way. He says, okay, that's cool. I've heard enough. Now, what about you? And it's absolutely silent. What do you think? I've heard what everyone else thinks. What do you think? We love the word they. They said, they say. We, we can hide behind they. You can't hide behind what about you? What do you think? What do you say about me? And it was silent. See, Jesus is saying that if you're about to pay a price, because Jesus knows where he's going in this conversation, if you're going to pay the price that's required, you better know who you're following. Where I'm going to take you, you better see me more than just John the Baptist. You better think of more of me than just a good man. You, you need to settle who I am in order to pay the price. We must settle who before we can handle the what or it won't last long. We see that on the wedding day. If you haven't settled that this is the girl for me, or if you haven't settled that this is the guy for me, if you haven't, made, if you haven't settled that issue, it won't last long. And so Jesus is trying to find out what the disciples think about who he really is. He's not having an identity crisis. He's not saying, who am I? I don't know who I am anymore. I'm, so, I'm not sure. He knows exactly who he is. He needs to know if they know who he is. And if you are a young person and you are unmarried, you, you better settle who you are and you better settle the one you're about to marry. Otherwise, it won't last long. Because with every marriage, there is a price to pay. And you won't pay it if you don't think she's the right one. 
got to settle some things. I remember on the day that we were married, I promised, this is the only promise I made to my wife. I said, I can't promise you riches. I can't promise you new clothes. I can't promise you a new house. I can't promise you new cars. I can't promise you anything like this. I give you me. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you every day that I am alive. That's what I give you. I'm that guy. And Jesus is saying, do you know who I am? Because it's not always rainbows and butterflies. You're not going to follow me if you just think I'm John the Baptist. Oh, you will when it's rainbows, you will when it's butterflies, but you won't when it gets a little bit difficult. And so who do you say that I am? And Peter, under divine revelation, says, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. See, Jesus... Last name is not Christ. It's not like Jesus Christ, P.O. Box. It's not that. (laughs) Christ means anointed one. And so Peter, under divine revelation, says, you're the Christ. You're the ones the prophets prophesied about. You are the one we've been waiting for. You are that guy. You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You're Him. which is awesome. And so then Jesus says, now that we've settled that, I need you to tell you about some things about my life. It's gonna get rough, fellas. Um, I'm gonna be abused, I'm gonna be accused. Um, All the religious leaders are gonna gang up against me and ultimately I'm gonna lose my life, but don't worry, in three days I'm gonna rise again. He could only share that on the revelation that they knew who he was. You've got to settle who Jesus is in your life. And then Peter gets a little bit nervous and he pulls Jesus aside. He goes, Jesus, I mean, Jesus said, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I imagine Peter, you ever done that? I know as a parent, I look at my kids, get in here. Kath does that to me all the time. I'm talking away. Even now, like when, this morning, and she's like, get off. <laughs> she's back there tonight, and I'm like, I'm, just, I'm getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And she's like, this is what Peter's doing. Get over here. And so, and so Jesus walks over, and he goes, oh, Jesus, Jesus, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. And it seems so, he seems so caring. So that sounds horrible. But Peter was not concerned about Jesus. Peter was concerned about Peter. He's like, Jesus, don't get all negative on us. You know, things are going well. You know, you're famous. I'm getting famous. Don't go all negative on us now. See, Peter wasn't concerned so much about Jesus. He was concerned about what was going to happen to him if that happened to Jesus. It sounded caring, but it wasn't. And so Peter rebukes Jesus, and Jesus responds with a rebuke. In other words, he says, I I see your rebuke, and I'm going to raise your rebuke. (laughs) And so Peter rebukes Jesus, and now Jesus rebukes Peter. And he goes, get behind me, Satan. It's like a Jim Carrey moment. Get behind me, Satan. Just like, 
And, and I feel for Peter at this moment. Like Peter, he starts a chapter known as Simon. He has this incredible revelation that you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of God. And Jesus says, that's incredible. This was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And as a result, you're no longer going to be called Simon, but Peter, because Peter means rock, strong, secure, stable. And it's on you, with my help, that we're going to build the church. So he starts the chapter of Simon. He gets this new name, Peter. And under his, with his new name, he goes, come over here, Jesus. I'm Peter. And then Jesus rebukes him and gives him another name, Satan. <laughs> Talk about an identity crisis. Who am I, Simon, Peter, or Satan? And he rebukes him, and he doesn't apologize for it. Question Who is Jesus to you? Is he just a good guy that lived some 2,000 years ago? If he is, when it gets tough, you won't be around. Is he that guy that got you to go to a building that happened to be a church where you fell in love with someone? And so is he the connector of your partner? Because if he is, if that's all he is, when it gets tough, you won't last. Is he that person that's created the institution called the church that you just get a bit of fun and fellowship when you want? Because if it is, when it gets tough, you won't last. You've got to settle who Jesus is in your life. And to do that, you need a revelation. And it's my constant prayer that the eyes of our hearts are opened to who Jesus really is. Question number one, who is Jesus to you? The second question Jesus brings to the disciples, the crowd, and ultimately to us is this. Who will pay the price? Who will pay the price? Jesus was brilliant at making moments into teaching moments. And so he shares something, and then he says, you know, while I'm at it, I might as well teach. And so now he's got their attention, he begins to teach. And he says that um, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. And he starts talking about a cross. What is he doing? He's highlighting the fine print. He spent much time talking about the big picture, the promise. And now he's highlighting the fine print. And in the fine print is you must pick up your cross. And that language was very relevant to the day. The, a cross, a crucifixion, it meant something to the people of that day. And there they were, seeing crucifixions all the time. Now relax, you will never be crucified. You'll never have to pick up a cross like Jesus did. You'll never have to you know, worry about being nailed to a cross, literally. But this was very literal for them. And it was a terrifying moment. 
So what does a cross represent for us today? What, is, what does it look like for us to pick up a cross? Well, quite simply, the cross represents a cost. It represents us denying ourselves. And so Jesus is saying, unless you are prepared to deny yourself, you can't be my follower. Now let me put it in perspective what denying yourself looks like, because we've all done it. Have you ever walked into McDonald's and said, you know, I'll have a burger and, and that's all you want? And they'll say, would you like some fries with that? And when you say no, even when you want those fries, because let's face it, we always want the fries. But when we say no, what have we done? We've denied ourselves. Would you like some fries with that? No. That's what Jesus is talking about here. That's a very, very tiny illustration that I've just used about what it is to deny yourself. It's when you want to say yes, but you find yourself saying no for a bigger purpose, a better purpose. That's what Jesus is talking about here when He talks about us picking up our cross. It's that fork in the road moment when you can go right or you can go left. It's that moment in your life when what I want for me and what God wants for me are two different things. And that's coming your way as a follower of Christ. I don't know where, I don't know when, but it is coming. And it won't just come once, it'll come multiple times in a lifetime where you're tracking along nice and God is just, you just feel like you're in the will of God and everything's fine and everything you're doing seems to bring Him pleasure. And all of a sudden, there's this gnawing and there's this niggling and there's this kind of something going on the inside that was generated by something you've read, by something that somebody preached. And now all of a sudden, you can't get rid of this particular thought and it's just bothering you. And then you ask somebody else about it. It doesn't seem to be bothering them. So you just dismiss it. But nonetheless, you can't get rid of it. It's that fork in the road moment. I remember being involved in a youth group and I was getting frustrated because I wanted more of the things of God and it just seemed, everything around me just seemed to be stagnating and I'll never forget being in a youth meeting. It was in our local church and we had a, a guest speaker for the night. His name was Russell Evans. Some of you may know who that is. And I never forget this, I'm having this wrestle in worship. I'm, I'm, you know, everyone was worshiping. Everyone's having the time of life. I wasn't. I was. I was. I was just struggling on the inside, you know, because I felt God was calling me somewhere, and, and but, I, but I didn't want to go there because it just seemed too painful. And and I just and, and I just remember in my heart of hearts in the worship, thinking, you know what? I'm not going to do it. Everyone else is having the time of their life. Why can't I? And I just remember settling. I had this. Peace come upon me, forget it. I'm going for the easy way. And I just felt this incredible peace. Enter Russell Evans. He stopped the worship and said, Tony, I've got a word for you. I'm like, are you kidding me? I've got my answer. You're too late. That's what I'm thinking. And he says, Tony, I see a fork in the road. And I was so cynical, you know, the old fork in the road prophecy. Everyone does that one. How many, how many have ever had a fork in the road prophecy said over their life? Like, yeah, go on, give me something. Tell me something I don't know. Fork in the road. Alice in Wonderland, you know. 
I've since used it many times myself. It's quite a good one. <laughs> so I was a little bit cynical, the fork in the road prophecy. Oh, yeah. He said, I, I see you at a fork in the road. And I see that there's a wrestle on the inside of you. I think, oh, all right, go on. And I said, I see you about to make a decision. And you can either go to the right or to the left. The choice is yours. But I want you to know, one way is easy and one way is hard. I'm like, okay, you've got my attention. Go on. He said, all I feel to tell you is God is in the hard way, not the easy way. It's amazing. And at that moment, it wasn't, like, it wasn't like God was on anyone else's case. He wasn't speaking about anyone else about that but me. I'd already decided, and I had this peace. Sometimes the peace we feel is not a peace from God, it's a peace because we've just given up. There's a peace when you are pressing a weight, if you're into weightlifting at all, you can just give up and, and, and you'll have peace and rest. But there's a, greater, there's a greater joy that comes on the other side of pressing through and finishing the set, finishing the wreck, and then having peace on the other side of pressing through. Two different things. I pray that you don't take the peace prematurely. Because it's actually going to cost us to, something, uh, to follow Jesus. And it's where people most uh, often say goodbye. And Peter and the disciples, they're like, man, following Jesus is awesome. He's famous. We're getting famous. There's signs and wonders and healings. And it's awesome. He's healing all these people. He even healed my mother-in-law. I'm a little bit you know, kind of you know, at odds about that one. I wish he hadn't done that. But hey, apart from healing my mother-in-law, I'm happy with all the other healings. Any mother-in-law? Anyway, just... And now it's kind of like, ah, oh, I don't know if it's worth it now. Happy to follow when there's healing signs, wonders, and miracles. I'm just, this costing. And, and if you've ever been in that place, I get it. It makes sense, you know, to think, oh, it's just too hard. You know what I'll do? This is what we do. What I'll do, I'll wait till I'm at 60, wait till I'm at 70, and then just before, you know, it's time to meet my maker, I'll just make amends. And if that's where you're at, go for it. If you, if you know how long you've got, fantastic. Knock yourselves out. But I think there's a better way. See, it's not that we don't believe so much as we just don't want to say no to us. I believe in God. And I'm happy to come to church when I want. And I'll do anything that I want to do. And I'm here to say, that's not following Jesus. That's you following you. Jesus said, come follow me. And wherever that leads, follow him. Question number one, who do you say that Jesus is? You can see why we've got to settle this. Second question, who will pay the price and the third question is, 
Who wants to save their life? See, Jesus is a brilliant communicator. If you want to learn good communication, read the Gospels and see what Jesus does. He realizes they're stressing out. He realizes the tone of his teaching moment has changed. He realizes all joy has gone and all hope has gone and all faith is pretty much gone. And so then he changes tack just a little bit and brings some hope and brings some light. Because he knows how much people value life. I don't know if you've ever heard the stories that I've heard about people who have a superhuman strength come upon them to rescue someone in need. I mean, I've read articles where women have got this supernatural strength to lift up a car to get their child out because they're in danger. You ever heard those kind of stories? Someone just runs into a burning uh, building knowing that it could collapse on them at any moment, but they do it because they value the life of those that are in danger. I think that's inside of us. There's a value we place on life. And Jesus knows that. And so he taps into it. And so he kind of just gets them to see things a little bit differently and he highlights three things to make his point. He says, firstly, remember this. I know you're struggling with this thought. I know you're struggling with it. But remember this. You can't take anything with you when you die. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, whatever you don't want to give up now, I get that. But know this, you're going to have to give it up anyway. He's bringing perspective now. He's brilliant. Jesus is brilliant. He's not only the saviour of the world, he's the best communicator the world has ever known. He's brilliant. So he encourages them. Peter, you're going to build my church. Then he brings out the fine print. He sees they're wobbling and now brings perspective. I, I know I'm asking you to give up something. But know this, whatever I ask you to give up, you're going to have to give up with anyway. The point is, we're going to lose everything anyway. Nobody takes homes, cars, jobs, money, family with them when they die. Nobody. The second thing he highlights is that your soul is worth more than anything else. And to highlight this and to prove the point, he says, let's play a little game. I want you to imagine Imagine you had everything you ever wanted. Hey, you know what? I'll see that. How about you own the whole world? Let's imagine you own the whole world. Got it? Whatever you want to do, you can do it whenever you want to do it. Imagine that. Imagine having that at the expense of losing your soul. What's more important? And if we're honest, having everything or keeping our soul. What he was trying to highlight here is that your soul, you know it and I know it, your soul is far more valuable than anything you say you want. He's bringing perspective. If having things was the answer, Hollywood would be, Hollywood would be the happiest place on the planet. It would be where the marriages all work. That's 
Miranda Kerr, Orlando Bloom would still be together because they've got everything. All the things you say you want, they've got it and it's not enough to keep them together. You know it and I know it. Our soul is far more valuable than anything you can ever get or get given. You know that. And Jesus knew the disciples knew that. He knew the crowd knew that. And He was trying to highlight what they know is most important, but they forget because they're too busy desiring things that they think they need and they don't really need. And they know they don't really need it in the first place. Some people might say, well, I don't believe in life after death and you'd be in good company. There was a religious group called the Sadducees. They didn't believe in the afterlife and that's why they were sad, you see. (laughs) Don't thank me, thank the man on the front row. He told me that back in the 80s. Thanks for that, Paul, I think. But the reality is, most people do believe in life after death. They might not know what it is, but they believe in something. And if that's you, it's worth finding out what that something is. And the third thing he highlights is that your future depends on it. Your future depends on it. See, while we can't take anything with us, we can send it ahead of us. We can make good investments into our future, into our eternity. And Jesus is saying the way we do that is everything you do for Him, when you don't really want to do it, but you do it because you love Him and you've denied yourself, will have eternal reward. He's saying you can lose everything now, Remember, you're going to lose it anyway, but you can lose it with purpose and meaning and reward. Or you can hold on to everything now and lose it anyway and have nothing to show for it. In concluding, we need to understand something about being a Christian. Firstly, that salvation is a free gift from God. You've done nothing to earn it or deserve it, and nor have I. But following Jesus will eventually cost you something along the road. And I know you know that, particularly if you're married here. You can be in love. You can walk down the aisle with puppy love eyes and say there's nothing he or she could do to ever upset me or offend me. (laughs) You may walk down the aisle with naivety, but for that marriage to work, for that marriage to stay together, I'm telling you men, no matter how gorgeous your wife is, no matter how understanding she is, no matter how lovely she is, no matter how different than any other woman on the planet she is, eventually... To stay married to her is going to cost you something. I don't know what, I don't know when, but eventually it will cost you something in order to stay together. 
following Jesus is exactly the same. I don't know where, I don't know when. But it will eventually cost you something in following Christ. And it may have something to do with what God is asking of you that he's not asking of others. It may be that there's no verse for it. There's no sermon on it. It's just God's asking you. You may be offered a job promotion, but there's something on the inside of you, you just know you can't take it, even though it means more money. Even though it means everything good, you just know you can't take it. And everyone else is taking their promotions, and, but you know for you it's the wrong thing to do. And my confidence is this, that as you follow Jesus and you get to know Him more and get to know His ways more, and you get to see the incredible nature of who He is more. I believe you're going to make the right decision. Because as you follow Jesus, trust has been built. Knowledge and understanding of who He is has come into your world. And at that moment when God asks something of you, it's your day of promotion because He knows that you're ready for this. I've, I've, I've chosen to see those darkest days in my life as a promotion. When someone walks out of my life, out of my world, or someone's got something bad to say, or something bad happens to me, I've chosen to see that as a promotion time. That God sees me now in a position to be able to handle this. Something I couldn't handle a week ago, a month ago, a year ago. But now I'm ready. Thank you, Lord. I don't like it. It's painful. It hurts. But thank you that you've entrusted me with this moment because you see that I'm ready. Because your word says you will not put me in a situation that I can't withstand. So that means I can stand this and stand I will. Who do you say Jesus is? Who will pay the price? Who wants to save their life? And when we pay that price, you'll discover who you really are. At that fork in the road moment, you're going to learn, am I a follower of Christ or am I just a consumer? How you respond to that moment in life determines and says something about what you really believe. It says something about who you really are. And you'll discover whether you're a follower of Jesus or just a consumer. There's a time when you will say no to you in order to say yes to Him. And you'll know, you'll know that you're a follower of Christ. And so which story do you want to tell? Which story is it you want to tell? Your family, your friends, your kids, your wife. Which story do you want to tell? Do you want to tell, I couldn't say no to me? Or I couldn't say no to Jesus? Which story do you want to tell? Because you will tell one or the other. Your story will be, I just couldn't say no to me. I love the church. I, I love the concepts. I just couldn't say no to me. Or I walked through hell and back because I couldn't say no to Jesus. What story do you want to tell? What story do you want to tell? 
I decided to say yes to me or I decided to say yes to Jesus. Which story do you want to tell? It's a pretty shallow story. I said yes to me. And every, every fork in the road, I said yes to me. Okay, enjoy your life. It gets pretty shallow pretty quick. Or we can tell the story. Oh, I've got some stories. Where I said yes to Jesus. Under sufferance. Under duress. Sometimes kicking and screaming. Honestly, I've got this, this man on the front row here. There are many times we've been messing around with youth, me and Paul say, hey, Tony, can I have a word? And I, the times I'd walked before, I don't know if you know, this, why me? What? I'll never forget one day, we went up the river. I went with a group from the church. I didn't tell Paul, he's not my boss. He's not my dad, he's not my mum. This went. I exercised my freedom in Christ. I had scriptures ready. <laughs> and I never get in youth. It's just before you started. I'm chatting away, laughing because I was back. I'm back. Didn't go anywhere. I'm back. I'm laughing and joking. Puts, hey, Tony. And I don't know what it is when someone says, hey. Yeah. <laughs> it just felt like. As I walk over there, that's all messing around. Because uh, you went away last weekend. I said, yeah. Like that, yeah. Like you do to me, yeah. Because um, weren't you away a couple of weeks earlier? Yeah. I'm free in Christ. <laughs> you should just be lucky I come at all. I'm a guy who's in demand. I'm Mr. Popular. You didn't think to tell us, tell anyone? And I can see he's getting, you know, he's serious. But I'm like, hey, I wasn't the only one there. And at that moment, I'm thinking, you're kidding me. Wasn't the only one there. Why are you telling them? It's that kind of moment that Peter had with Jesus when Jesus was talking about the kind of death that he would suffer. And Peter doesn't like the weight of what he's feeling. So he says, what about him? He points to John. And John says, if I don't want him to die, he won't. In other words, he's got nothing to do with what I'm talking about. But a rumor went around that John wouldn't die. So they totally missed the point. Here I am, I'm totally missing the point. It's my fork in the road moment. You say, you're going to be like everyone else, you're going to be different. You're going to embrace your call or not. And I remember wrestling with it, I didn't like it. I'll be honest, I didn't like it. I think I did youth that night with a bad attitude. Carried the baby that night. If you don't know what I'm on about, please get Cass' message. I'm a guy nursing a baby, a grudge. I'm nursing this grudge. What about that? And it comes down to, are you going to let it go? Yeah. Natasha Lawrence. We're going to let it go and say no to you and yes to Jesus. Or are you going to say no to Jesus and yes to you? It's that moment. That's the stories I want to tell. 
Paul says it this way, I want to boast about my weaknesses. Because in my weakness, he is glorified. And that was a little weak moment of mine, but he's glorified because I have, I have no regrets in eventually surrendering to him. And I didn't do it overnight. I didn't have a ah oh, moment. I didn't. I had to wrestle through it. I had to struggle through it. I, to, I just like, and I just got sick of my own voice. I got sick of my own attitude. I got sick of living with me. I said, you know what? I'd rather follow Jesus anywhere because I'm happier there. I've got more peace there. I've got more joy. I'd rather do that. What story are you going to tell? This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and God bless.